I gained weight. Um, before then, I, I lost at least 15 pounds when I came back from Japan and from my, our honeymoon. Uh, I gained those 15 pounds back. Um, I'm back where I started several months ago. And I have to work that work those pounds off. I bring that up to your attention because we were still talking about the subject of prayer. But there's another uh, tenant to prayer, which is fasting. It is rare that Christians encourage one another to fast. We encourage each other to pray, but not to fast. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that is intertwined with prayer. I liken fasting and prayer to a two-sided coin. Because these two spiritual disciplines complements each other. The spiritual discipline of fasting ought to be conducted just as much as prayer. Because like prayer, fasting has always been part of the Christian life. That is evident in Acts chapter 13. When the apostles fasted and prayed. We see that in the, that fasting and praying started in the beginning of the church. Within the English Standard Version of the Bible, the word fast or fasting is listed at least 140 times. It is listed 89 times in the Old Testament and 51 times in the New Testament. The repetitive use of this word demonstrates importance. And it also demonstrates the command or in the association with prayer. Fasting literally means not to eat or ones who have not eaten anything. The spiritual meaning of fasting is to be preoccupied with spiritual concerns for a period of time without intaking food or liquids. Fasting is an opportunity to mortify the flesh of its pleasure and to feed the spiritual man. If you think about it, it's countercultural to abstain from food, from particular food, or in general, all types of food. The attitude towards fasting is seen as an idiotic religious piety, something that is pompous. And he failed to realize that fasting not, is not just discounting food, but it also abstaining from different sorts of things like Facebook or 
social media or television, um, the telephone, or even from relationships. In general, there are three forms of fasting. There's normal fasting, partial, and absolute. Normal fasting is where you abstain from food with little to no liquids. Partial fasting, if you have a dietary limitation, then you will partially fast for a couple of hours by taking food and you can take some uh, liquid. Absolute fasting is you just abstaining from liquids and food altogether. Some of you may ask, why should we fast? Why should we fast? The simple answer to this question, one, it is a high expectation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, two, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, which is the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus preached and taught about fasting. He said, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. And even if the Lord did not say anything about fasting, the Bible does. Like I mentioned, it says, it mentioned fasting 89 times in the Old Testament. So it is important, it's a part of our Christian life. Many people fast for different reasons. People fast if they are grieving. People fast for the sake of humility and to seek guidance from the Lord. People fast to minister to other people. Like in an accountability partnership. People fast to conquer Temptation of the flesh. I found, I found a quote by the man named J. Beaumont, and I want you to show you how he defined fasting. This is what he says. The object of fasting is the mortification of sin. Is your mind distempered, your heart hard, your grace weak, and corruptions strong? Does pride, envy, malice, the love of the world, or any other filthiness of the flesh or spirit prevail Therefore, fasting is your duty. This is why we fast. So prayer and fasting is associated with each other. I'm going to bring that point out because this is the purpose of this message. 
to show you how prayer and fasting is associated with each other. They go hand in hand. But I think one thing that stands in the way, and that is the sin of gluttony. The sin of gluttony. Amen. <laughs> Amen, sister. The first thought that comes to your mind when the word gluttony is mentioned is a picture of someone eating food. Yes? The word gluttony is associated with food. However, seeing someone overeat is not the root of the problem. Overeating is only a symptom of a deeper mental and spiritual issue. The Hebrew word, I don't want to get too technical for you, but the Hebrew word for the word gluttony literally means to be thoughtless or to be rashful or, or careless. To be thoughtless means you lack wisdom or discernment. To be careless means you have a nonchalant attitude or posture towards someone or something. In regards to this sermon, it would be food and other stuff. You will find that the Old Testament and New Testament uses the word gluttony always in the negative connotation. Always in a negative phrase, the word gluttony is used. Not in a positive way. What I want you to do is open up your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 20. And you can look at, let's read Proverbs chapter 20, verse I meant, I'm sorry, 23, verse 20. Or you can read it behind me as well. I'm reading from the ESV translation of the Bible. In verse 9, I'm going to start in verse 19. It says, Hear, my son, be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Do not among, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. A drunkard and a gluttonous is always going to be associated with each other because of the root word for, in the Hebrew means to be thoughtless, careless. Turn over to Proverbs 23, verse 20. I'm sorry, uh, 28, verse uh, 7. Again, reading from the ESV, so the translation is going to be somewhat different if you're reading from the NIV. 
It says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 7, The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a, but a companion of gluttons shame his father. Do you see the picture here? You see what Solomon is saying about a gluttonous person. And turn over to Luke chapter 7, verse 34. And we will read this together. Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Here is, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is repeating rumors that were spread by the Pharisees and the religious elites. So starting in verse 34, this is what Jesus said. As we can back up to verse 33, the Pharisees are spreading rumors about John the Baptist and and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 33 it says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. Verse 34, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of a tax collectors and sinners. They were saying, Jesus was a gluttonous sinner. A person who had no self-control. To say such thing was a derogatory slur. They were defaming the name and character of Jesus Christ when they said what they said. They were saying that not Jesus, not not only Jesus was a gluttonous sinner, but a person who lacks self-control, a person who has no discernment, a person who finds pleasure in sin. In other words, a person who is a glutton and a drunkard have no self-control whatsoever. If you talk to a drunkard and he's drunk or she is drunk, they don't have any control over their own wits. This is what they say about the Lord. Now, for the Pharisees to say such things were pretentious of them. It was pretentious. Now, raise your hand if you're familiar with the word asceticism. Asceticism. Okay, I see one person. Asceticism is was a religious way of abstaining from all things of life, from food, from, in the case of the Pharisees, whatever the flesh craved, they abstained from. But for the Pharisees to say such things about Christ, they practiced asceticism.
they were looking down upon the Lord Jesus Christ because for them, asceticism was a part of their religious. They were looking high and lofty. They misfigured their bodies by abstaining from food. So if you see, if you ever, if you were in Jesus' time and you saw a Pharisee who was skinny uh, to the bones, it is because he was practicing asceticism. He wanted to look religious. Let me give you an example. If you can turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 10. This is what I mean that the Pharisees were spreading rumors about our Lord Jesus Christ and they were looking down upon people. In Luke chapter 18, verse 10, this is a Pharisee praying to the Lord God. And Jesus is giving the parable of this. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But listen to what the uh, tax collector said. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That is why I say that the Pharisees, to spread rumors about John the Baptist and the Lord, was very pretentious of them. It was high and lofty. They were looking down upon them. That was the attitude of the Pharisees. Gluttony is not just a sin of overeating. It is a sin of greed. It is a sin of Lack of self-control of which you're allowing your flesh to be in control instead of the spirit of Christ. It is a sin of selfishness. Like for example, I'm a prime example of that. I can only speak for my household. Kristen, I don't have any kids, as many of you know. So it's just me and Crystal. We get to eat whatever we want. I even set the budget aside for her to spend $150 for herself and $150 for me. So whatever I buy for myself, you don't eat. You have your own budget. So whenever she asks me, can I have something? I say, no, you should have bought it. See, you see, that's the selfishness, the sin of selfishness. (laughs) 
Well, it's about me more than about her. <laughs> but you see that? And gluttony is more than just overeating? So, from selfishness, it is a sin of covetousness. Because you have a desire to crave something that is not yours. Beloved, the root of gluttony, like all other sin, is idolatry. It is idolatry. Why do I say that? One of the clearest signs of gluttony is seen in the Garden of Eden. We can, we can attribute eating as one of the many first sins that Adam committed. Adam had everything that he wanted. Everything that he needed, all types of food was at his disposal. And he walked and talked with God in the cool of the day, but after he looked, after he took the fruit from Eve's hand, that relationship between him and God was shattered. The sin of eating or gluttony was, is seen in the Garden of Eden. The sinful act of eating not only diminished Adam's relationship with God, but mankind's relationship with God was diminished. It was forfeited. Adam desire, Adam's desire to eat became priority. And God became or dropped down to the bottom of the totem pole. That is idolatry. You see how gluttony, along with every other sin, is idolatrous. Anything we subject ourselves to can potentially become an idol, and which includes food. Facebook. Money. Our time. Relationships with other people. And we're subjecting ourselves to those types of things and losing focus on the Lord God himself. That is when that issue became an idol or becomes an idol. That includes our jobs. Like, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Lord well, the Lord spoke to Paul by, uh, by Paul and the Holy Spirit illuminate the, well, the Holy Spirit illuminate the text. And this is what Paul wrote down. He said, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. So the antithetical meaning or the opposite meaning of this text would instruct us to glorify the flesh. But this is not what Paul is saying. Whatever you eat or whatever you do, glorify God in that aspect. 
But this is exactly what, the antithetical meaning of this test is exactly what we are doing. We provide our flesh with whatever it wants. Whatever it craves, we give it to it. So, I encourage us to be mindful. Because the idea is that we, if what scripture says, we have died, we have been crucified. So that means that the old nature of ourselves have died. It is dead. The new nature in us is in Christ, and we live in Christ, and Christ lives in us. So let's not go and be persuaded by our flesh. From an eschatological point of view, one thing that we are going to have in the millennial kingdom is a resurrected, glorified body like the body of Jesus Christ. The flesh is going back into the ground, and we will rise with a renewed, glorified body. It's not given to the flesh. I think we all have a biblical idea of gluttony now, right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Now I want to turn your attention back to the association of fasting and praying. Fasting and praying. Now we know that the Lord Jesus fasted and prayed in the beginning of his ministry for 40 days and 40 nights. He is not the only one to accomplish such uh, spiritual pietousness. The Lord Jesus fasted and prayed to fight temptation. The Lord Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 nights and 40 days to fast, to, to subdue temptation. We, uh, I think we can understand this truthful reality in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 21. Turn there, please. Turn to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 21. Daniel is a prime, another example of what it means to fast and pray and to subdue temptation. Starting in 
to give you a historical background on the book of Daniel, this is, this is when Israel was deported from their home nation to the kingdom of Babylon. This is what the Lord himself said it was going to happen. So we pick up in the book of Daniel, these Daniel, Meshach, Shatrach, and Abednego, who were teenagers, not adults, but teenagers, who desired to continue to fulfill what God commanded them to do despite whatever situation that they were in. So look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It says, this is when the king, Babylon, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, wanted all the people uh, to start eating his meats and his wine and his foods. To be, to be full, because if you, in the Old Testament, the ideal is that if you were a full type of person, in appearance, you were healthy. Verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the units to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the units. And the chief of the unit said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? And Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the units had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who ate, who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in, the, in this manner and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in the appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they, get, they, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the units brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, whose, last, whose name was uh, changed later on. Therefore, they stood before the king 
and in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So, to communicate what this is saying. Because it may sound odd for modern day believers. As modern day believers, it is presumptuous to say, I'm saying this very lightly, that Daniel chapter 8 verse, I mean Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 through 21, that is communicating a Daniel's diet. That is not the case. In essence, the Daniel's diet didn't, do not exist. It never did. That is a presumptuous uh, a presupposition people was placing upon the text because as you have read yourself, that they ate and they drunk of just a different type of diet. If you don't see that, or if anyone don't see that, I'm missing the point of what Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 is, through 21 is communicating. Like, for example, if there, if there ever was a Daniel's diet and someone is submitting themselves to that, that means you will have to submit yourself to the rules and regulations of the Leviticus, uh, Levit- ah, Levitical law. Which means... You will have to distinguish what is clean and unclean animals to eat. And guess what? The pig is an unclean animal. So that means if, you, if there ever was a Daniel's diet, there won't be any baking for us. Amen? So there is no Daniel's diet. The point of Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 21, is communicating that Daniel and his friends could have easily assimilated in the Babylonian culture. They could have had all the pleasures they wanted. All the pleasures of life. That could afford it, be afforded to them. They could have lived in luxury. But they fasted from those things. They abstained from them. They did not fast from food because they ate. They fasted from the temptation of sin. So again, beloved, gluttony is more than just Overeating. These teenage boys, they fasted and abstained from the pleasures of the Babylonian culture. It showed, it's demonstrating to us that they love God more than what the world was offering to them. 
So we know that fasting and praying can help us subdue temptation. Also, fasting and praying can forbade the wrath of God upon a nation. Fasting and praying can forbade the wrath of God upon a nation. Why do you think I say that? Turn to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. I think many of us are familiar with the historical background of Jonah. Jonah wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord. Eventually, the Lord brought Jonah Jonah back to where he wanted to go, which is the city of Nineveh. I want us to pick up in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, because Jonah was preaching the word of God to the people of Nineveh, for day and night. And this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Give you this pause here for a second. The people of Nineveh was a ruthless people. You think of ISIS, then think of the Ninevites. That's how ruthless they were. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in brevet. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's Journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. But just pay attention to verse 5. It says, And the people of Nineveh believe God. They call for a fast and put on a sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. continue. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he rose from his time, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and set in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water but but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Fasting and praying can forbade the wrath of God upon a nation.
We should be fasting and praying for our nation and leaders of the United States. Don't think for one second that the Lord himself would not punish the USA, because he will. But I encourage you to be mindful the Lord will not punish the USA for the sake of the church, Christ's bride. And I'm using that loosely. Like, for example, in Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, This is Paul instructing Timothy so Timothy can instruct the leaders of the church. And this is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So this is the command coming from within the church. So we understand that fasting and praying can subdue temptation. Fasting and praying can I forbade the wrath of God upon a nation, but also uh, we should fast and pray for our marriages. Fast and pray for marriage. Turn to second. Um, turn to First Corinthians chapter seven. This is one of my favorite. Verses, one of my favorite verses. I want to emphasize that. Because First Corinthians chapter 7 is, speaks to me dearly and to the life of my wife as well. For the sake of clarity and to remain true to the context of this passage, let's read from verse 1. It says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wrath to her husband. Uh, footnotes, I just want to pause here to cover my own behind. Uh, for my Sunday school children, and my, if your child is in my Sunday school, we went over Leviticus chapter 20, so if they have any questions about this particular matter, that is the reason why. Amen? It's nothing bad, but just go over Leviticus chapter 20 with them. Okay, let's continue. All right. 
Verse 4, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what Paul is saying, if you are married and something is not right within your own self and you are aware of that, it is right for you to abstain from the pleasure of intimacy with your spouse for a limited time so that you and the Lord can be on the same accord. And that's what fasting and praying is all about. It's about you as an individual being in the will of God, understanding your own self, your own pleasures, what the flesh craves. As I stated Fasting is a mortification of the flesh because if you're going to continue to feed the flesh what it wants, it will continue to crave those things. And I myself am a witness of it. There's plenty of times that Kristen and I have difficulties in our marriage. We have problems in our marriage. And that would be a great time for Crystal and I to separate from each other for a period of time so she can confront, well, go to the Lord and have the Lord to deal with her. And I go to the Lord and have the Lord to deal with me. Then we come back together. Because scripture in no shape or form is telling married couples to not to be intimate. And I'm not not only intimacy, uh, intimate sexually, but verbally as well. We're just dating each other. That's not what scripture is advocating. Lastly, fasting and praying is not for your marriage, not only for your marriage, but is also for healing. Turn to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 through 21. This is when, and you have to be mindful that in Luke chapter 11, the Lord sent out disciples to cast out demons, to heal people in his name. And they came back and they were astonished that they com- accomplished such a fleet. So this is after the uh, s- situation in Luke 11. So in Matthew chapter 17, this is a man coming to the Lord Jesus Christ asking the Lord, to heal his demon-possessed son. So when we look in 
verse 20. Well, actually, let's read in the context. Start in verse 14, Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. It says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples. And they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boar was healed instantly. Now look at the response of the disciples. In verse 19, it says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus responded by saying to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have your faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will be moved, and nothing will be impossible for you. But you may say to yourself, Where is the subject of healing, uh, the subject of fasting and praying? If you look at your footnotes within your translation, you may see that... The word fasting in the New Testament was added later, uh, in, was added in some of the manuscripts, original manuscripts, in Greek. And this is what Jesus is saying. You may not say fasting and praying in your particular translation, but it is in some of the Greek manuscripts. In the original text. I want you to turn to James. Turn to the book of James, please. This is when I brought up the issue of why people fast. I said that some of us fast to minister to others. Like the leadership here at this particular church can go on a fast for your behalf. It says in James, turn to James chapter 5 verse 13. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will rise him up, 
and if there are any, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Beloved, as I just stated, I don't mind going on a fast. I don't I believe I'm speaking on behalf of leadership as well. We don't mind going on a fast and to pray for you. We desire to do that. Because it's only it's not only for our benefit, but it's for yours as well. It is for the life of this church, which is in the palms of Christ's hands. If you are if you are succumbing to the temptation of sin, tell someone. Tell a brother or sister in Christ, and y'all two go on the fast with each other so you can minister to each other. It's a moment for, it's a moment for all of us as a body as the bride of Christ to take the opportunity to bring someone back to the Lord. As scripture says, to snatch them out of the hell fire. Simply put, if you're struggling in the area of talkiness, uh, being too talkative, fast and pray. If you're struggling in your finances, fast and pray. If you're struggling in your marriage, fast and pray. Fast and pray. That's what Daniel and and his friends did. They fasted and prayed for one another, abstaining from the pleasures of life, abstaining from pleasure itself. Can you honestly, I think one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is that can we honestly tell ourselves no? Can we say no to ourselves? Or is the answer to that question is yes. To put myself on the altar, to give you, to lead you by example, for me, the answer is yes. I don't tell myself no all the time. But I should. I ought to. Can we go without the pleasures of this life for a week, for a month, for a couple of hours? Can we stop with, can we abstain from our favorite hobbies, our favorite pastimes, and and really set that time aside to fast and pray, to really communicate to the Lord himself, and to listen to his voice? Can we do that? I say this jokingly because I, I, I will hope by now you guys understand my personality, especially for those who be around me. Can we 
not do Fifth Sunday and use that time to just fast and pray? Can we abstain from eating? And I say that very lightly. Because I want you to, to, to hear my heart and, and to see the point that I'm making here. Can we come together as a body of believers to set a time to fast for one another, for our nation, for our marriage, for ourselves? Amen? Let us pray. Father, I pray for myself. I pray that the words that was spoken will illuminate the hearts and minds. I pray that you will be glorified in everything, in our thoughts, in our past times, in our life, until the day that we die, that we will come to a certain point in our lives to know that you are all and in all. That we are here to worship the name, the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is the Lord over our bodies, the Lord over our minds, and not anything else. It's only about him. I pray as we go forth from this building, you will impress upon our hearts on what we should do for today, for tomorrow, and for the rest of this year. I pray that the seed that was sown uh, today would not fall on thorny ground, but on fertile soil. And I pray that you would give the increase, Lord, because you are the one that gives it. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.